Turn with me to John chapter 21. John 21. We were here last week, and I want to revisit this chapter again and push a little further in. What I want to do over the next few weeks is actually look at uh, some different vignettes from the post-resurrection time. So in other words... After resurrection and yet before Pentecost. I want to look at some times in the Bible, uh, some, some stories that it gives to us between His resurrection, His appearing to people, and then 50 days later, Pentecost. You remember He tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And so during that time of waiting, certain things are actually going on. And so I want to look at with you over the next few weeks, up, building up to Pentecost, uh, these different stories. And here's uh, kind of the second half of what we covered last week, which was the, um, the fishing ordeal where they ate fish and so on and so forth. Now we pick up in, ch- in, in chapter 21, verse 15. You remember Peter had jumped off the boat, swam, because John had said, it's the Lord. And so he, he puts on his coat, jumps in, swims over there, and it's Jesus. And he's resurrected. This is the third appearing of Jesus. And so Jesus is whipping up some breakfast, and he cooks for them some fish for breakfast. Now we pick up in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your holy word to us. Holy Spirit, would you come and apply these words that you inspired by the Apostle John to our hearts this morning and help us to respond with repentance and true faith. To your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Peter was always the first to act. We talked about this last week. This is why he jumped off the boat. John recognizes it's the Lord, man. And he's off the boat already um, before anybody else. He's also first to often put his foot in his mouth, right? And get ahead of himself, get... As the old saying goes, get his cart uh, before the horse. 
And so, this is Peter. This is Peter. He's a man of action. And yet, at times it gets him in trouble, but that is also a quality of a leader. Uh, Not necessarily getting into trouble, but being a person of action. And so, Peter here is uh, obviously excited about the fact that Jesus is back. This is the third time that he has appeared to his disciples. You remember, Peter was one of the uh, first ones to the tomb. You have the women who go first. Uh, then you have John and Peter who leave to go see the tomb. Well, they are in a foot race, so they're running to the tomb. Apparently, Peter is uh, either just not trained as well or, or not as young as John, and John beats him there first. But Peter comes later, and we're told that they look in the tomb and see for themselves that nothing is there. His body is not there. Linen cloths are there. He's not there. Uh, now, if you were trying to make up this story, you definitely wouldn't have used women. And women in the ancient world, would their testimony wouldn't have stood up, uh, especially grieving women. Grieving women could have seen anything, people would say. Uh, they could make anything up in their mind, uh, and so therefore their testimony was not true in the ancient world. Um, and so here in the Scriptures, it puts women there first, which is laughable in the ancient world, and yet it only goes to its historicity. They're not trying to make up something here. Uh, it's also interesting that Peter, of all people, is chosen as the rock. That's almost laughable, isn't it? This guy who's always right and then wrong, this guy who's getting ahead of himself, he's called the rock. That's laughable, and yet it isn't, because it's true. You ever notice how life and reality, what is real, is not always planned? You know, in the movies, everything seems to go according to the plan, right? You know, when you bring the girl home from the date, the soft music begins to play, you know, the sun is setting, there's beauty behind that. Uh, In reality, what you find when you try to recreate that is gnats flying around, You know, you hear someone honking their horn and, and, you know, her getting distracted. Hang on, hang on. You know, you're trying to get this per and there's no music. It's just the croaking of frogs. Uh, That's reality. What we find in the Bible is a real story and not a fake one. Not a scripted one. Things often in your life, as well as in mine, go unscripted, don't they? They go off script. You plan for this, and then all of a sudden, this happens. Out of plan. Well, they weren't planning this morning to meet Jesus. (laughs) And yet, here He is. And He cooks for them. He's wanting to fellowship with them. And you can imagine, this is their Master. This is the one they gave their life to, and now they get to sit down with Him again. And in front of the other disciples, Jesus discriminates and talks specifically here to Peter. And he says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, when your mother uses your full name, is that a good thing? Not normally. You know, normally if she uses your nickname, that's a good thing. You know, little Pookie, you know, I love you. She doesn't say, Marshall Lawrence Dagg, I love you. That's not, that never, you know, if it's Marshall Lawrence Dagg, then that's not good news. Uh, If it's Ty Marshall Dagg, that means he's into something. I'm already running because Jessica's going to tell me to run anyway at that point to go grab him, because he's into everything. 
When someone's full name is used, their real name, whole name, then that means it's serious business. Jesus uses Simon, son of John. That's his full name. You know, in the ancient, in the ancient world, they did the whole thing of son of so and so, Marshall, son of Hal. You know, um, like in the Lord of the Rings. You know, that's son of so and so. They always associate with their father, their lineage. He uses full name because he's getting serious. This is a serious conversation he's having with. He's not joking around with Peter. Um, and he says, do you love me? Do you love me? And of course, Peter says, uh, yeah, of course you know. I, yes, Lord, you know I love you. You, are, you already know that. Why, why are we asking, you know, is almost the question. Is it, it's almost, that's the feeling you get from Peter's. Of course, you, you know everything, man. You know I love you. Come on, quit playing around, you know. And here he goes again. Simon, son of John. He's thinking, why, why, why so serious, man? It's just 6.30 in the morning. And he said, ask him again. Do you love me? Now, several things can be noted from this passage, and we could spend an eternity here. I won't. Um, I have distilled it down to a couple things that I want you to notice. First thing is, notice what is being asked and then what the command is to Peter. Now, we know that he's being asked, do you love me? And he's asked this three times. Of course, that's not just out of the air. There's three times that he denied the Lord, wasn't it? And Jesus predicted this, didn't He? And of course, Peter, like any of us would have done, said, no, no, there's no way. There's no way I'm going to deny you. And Peter was just talking about one time. Jesus says, well, no, I'll tell you, you're going to deny me three times. Before the rooster crows that morning, you will have denied me. You will have betrayed me three times. And Peter says, no, it's not going to happen. Trust me. And it does. And he weeps. Interestingly, when you do a comparison of Judas and Peter, they both betray God. They both betray and deny Jesus. But their response afterward is what is key. Both of them sin. Both of them go off course. And yet only one repents and is subsequently restored. The other does what Satan wants most, and that is to destroy you. Destroy your life. He takes his own life. Peter, however, goes out and it says weeps bitterly. He couldn't handle it. He had betrayed the one he loved the most. And he let him down. You know how that feeling is. You've let people down. I've let people down. I have betrayed people. I have sinned against people. And it's a terrible fit. And you don't even really want to run into them again, do you? It's almost a shame thing. You know, have you ever noticed when kids get in trouble, what do they do? Drop the head. You know. We almost want to cover up. What do, what do criminals do when they're doing something? They cover their heads. Why? It's shame. We know it's shameful. We intuitively know it's shameful. We don't want our face all over the picture board when, when we've done something wrong. It's the last thing we want. So when we see that person that we've betrayed, hurt, we don't even want to deal with that. And so it's almost like Peter just doesn't really want to have a conversation here with Jesus about love. 
He doesn't want to be questioned because he's already failed and the others aren't being addressed. It's him that's being addressed. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, hey, you guys ran off too, so you need to be quiet. Don't be laughing. You know, it's like when one of my kids get in trouble. Hey, you want a piece of this? <laughs> You're just like him. Jesus could have easily said that to all of them save John. John was there at the crucifixion. But he picks on Peter, you could say. He picks Peter. That's what's happening here. He picks Peter. To whom much has been given, the Scripture says, much is required. Peter had been chosen. Peter had been given a lot. He was a leader. Remember our story from last week? Peter says, I'm going fishing. And what happens? Other people follow him. Now, in one capacity, all of us are leaders to someone, whether it's to our children or to our friend group or at work. God calls us all to be a leader of people. Now, not all are called to the same position. Not all are called to the same jobs, so to speak. And Peter's job was called different than theirs. He was called to be the rock. He was the one to be the spokesman. And he was. And he... Uh, and even here he speaks in the Scriptures. He writes First uh, and Second Peter. And so Jesus asks him, Do you love me? Of course I do. Command. Feed my lambs. Now notice, there's a couple things that... There's a few things here that change in this dialogue between Jesus and Peter. One thing is that you can't really see in the text is agape or agapao and phileo. These are two Greek terms for love. Now they seem to be interchangeable in John's Gospel. Um, And so they seem to be synonymous, but there are some distinctions. Phileo is more friendship, brotherly type love. Whereas agape is obviously God's type of love or faithful love. You could think of it as. Here I think he really means uh, essentially both. And But what Jesus says is, do you agapao me. Do you agapao me? And then do you phileo me? Every response that Peter gives is phileo. So I love you in this way. I love you, love you, love you. Three different times. The other thing that is altered here in their exchange, if you look, is feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. It's almost a progression, isn't it? Lambs So feed my lambs when they're little. Tend to sheep. You have to care for them, in other words. And then feed my sheep. There's a progression here of shepherding. See what's happened here? Jesus called this guy who was a fisherman. And He told him, I'm going to make you a fisherman of men, right? Now what is Jesus doing to him in restoring Peter? He's making him a shepherd. Now, these are two obviously figures of speech. And I believe that God ultimately, by speaking to Peter, is speaking to us. He's telling us to fish for people. That's what we have to do in evangelizing. All of us are called to evangelize. That just simply means share His good news. Share the good news. When something good has happened in your life, you completed something you wanted to, you got something new, you want to share it with people. People you love. Well, 
Isn't the good news of Jesus Christ the best thing you could ever receive? The best goal you could ever accomplish? It must be shared. It must be shared. And Jesus uses two analogies, fishers of men and the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, yes, and now we're shepherds. Now Peter's a shepherd. Let's think about fishing real quick. And I'm no expert at all, especially this year. Um, but, but here's some things that Rick Warren, uh, who's, uh, who's a pastor out in California, huge church, really, that once I heard this, it really stuck with me, and I'll give it to you as the same type of help. He says there's five ways to be fishers of people. The first is know what you're fishing for. You've got to know what you're fishing for. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't go out and try to catch crappie where you catch bass. It's not going to happen. You don't do deep sea fishing like you do brim fishing. If you don't know what you're fishing for, then you're not going to reach them very well. So, younger people are going to respond differently than older people. Middle-aged people are going to respond differently than older people or younger people. So, if you are witnessing to someone, you're going to have to get into their culture, not make them come into yours. Second thing, so know what you're fishing for. Uh, Go where the fish are actually biting. This is Jesus' method here. All this is his, His own method. You don't go to places where there's no fish. Somebody says, hey, you know, nothing's going on over there. And they're not joking. They're not just trying to save their place. Um, then you don't go over there. You want to go where the fish are. So if we as a church just sit here in our location here and we say, well, nobody's coming. I don't understand that. That's like you going out in a boat to some random place and saying, I don't know why the fish aren't coming to me. This is, this is ridiculous. Fishing is so dumb. No, you go where the fish are. Follow me? You go where the fish are biting. You go where they're hungry. And you lay them out a nice buffet and they'll eat. So too, we as a church must reach out and not wait for them to come. We can't sit here. and We don't even own this building for one. We rent it. We must go out into your workplaces in the places where you shop, where you eat. That, those are our fishing holes. And we need to go to places where people are hurting. And trust me, if you open your eyes, they're hurting at your work. They're hurting at your local grocery store. So, the third thing. Learn to think like a fish. We... You know, it's, it's always fascinating, and I used to do the same thing, and I had to ask God to forgive me, is I want non-Christians to think like Christians. <laughs> Act like Christians. You say, man, I can't believe that they're doing that. Really? If you don't have God in you, why would you expect them to act like that? How can you expect them to act properly if they don't have God? You shouldn't. They won't be able to. We can't hold that against them. Now, Christians, people who name Christ, you better be acting like that. We can hold you to the fire. We hopefully will. Somebody hopefully loves you enough 
to hold you to the fire. I mean, if my brother started acting out of line, I'd be on the phone immediately. What's going on, dude? What's happening? I understand. I call him out. Because I love him. I don't care about the person. I mean, I, that's not my problem. But it is my problem. As brothers and sisters in Christ, it's our problem. But not for those who are sinners. Not for those who are outside of the faith. We don't demand on them. I mean, haven't you noticed you can't legislate morality? That comes from God. It comes from God. No society has ever been perfectly moral just because of a legal system. It doesn't happen. God must be in that system for you to be truly moral. For you to be ethical. Holy. It's not about just following rules. It's about having the Holy Spirit in us. That's the only way you're going to be able to follow the rules. There is no power alone by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. It won't happen. So we've got to learn to think like a fish. We have to learn to think like who we want to catch. Who we want to share the gospel. If we're, if we're supposed to be fishers of men, if we're supposed to have our water spots where we go and fish, one could be your neighborhood. This is a very simple thing. If that's your, if that's your fishing hole... And that means you just, hey, as I used to say, go beyond the wave. We always do this thing in, in neighborhoods, you know, we see our neighbor and we wave at him and that's it. We try to get in the house real quick so we don't have to talk to him. What if you waved and then said, hey, how are things going? How is your daughter? How's your brother? I remember you saying something about them having surgery or something happened. I mean... How about we get personal and relational like Jesus was where He looks out and sees the needs of the people and not just is doing His own thing. Look, I'm talking to myself this morning. Not just you. We must have places where we frequent often, whether it's at work, whether it's in our neighborhood, where we live, where we work, where we play. All these places. Baseball games? Trust me, just sitting there watching these baseball games, sometimes it's like watching paint dry. It's like they're running, but in slow motion, in Little League. And so what better thing to do than strike up a conversation with some of the parents rather than be on our phone? What good is that going to do you? Does that build the kingdom? Is that fishing? We forget to fish. And then we wonder, we look around and say, I don't know why nobody's new coming. I've never been able to lead someone to Christ. Well, probably because you've never fished. You've probably never even tried And it's not hard. Trust me. You don't have to be weird about it. Do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? (laughs) I always give this... uh, There's two times in my life, all here, (laughs) interestingly, um, and both of them at Walmart, uh, which, you know, go figure. But, you know, so I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm a teacher. I've been a Christian, you know, all my life, essentially, I've loved Jesus Christ all my years. Got saved when I was five years old. Called to preach when I was 17 years old. That's my pedigree. That's my, that's my, that's my claim. And, and, and so this guy comes to me in, in, in Walmart picking out ketchup, and he says to me, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? I'm, I'm sorry, who are you again? Are you the Grim Reaper? Are you about to slice my throat or something? Do I need to tell you now or before you do it? Or what's going to happen here? I don't... Scared me, you know, quite frankly. And I, I'm a Christian. I'm somebody who wants to witness. And yet this guy's scaring me. I don't really get scared about a lot of things, but he's freaking me out a little bit. 
Um, and so he just keeps pressing me. I'm like, yes, man, I'm a Christian. And he, and he doesn't even believe that. He just thinks I'm trying to wiggle my way out of it. I'm like, look, I, I'm, I've got to, I got to run, man. So God bless you, you know. And I'm out of there. Uh, and I'm the pastor. Another time I was at Walmart again. I got out of my car and the guy says, um, do you know what's going to happen when you die? I said, yeah, I'm going to meet Jesus. And then he didn't believe that. He's like, what, are you trying to make a joke about it? That's what he told me. He said, you trying to make a joke about it? I said, no, I'm, I'm saying I'm a Christian. God, leave me alone, please. I'm just, I'm just trying to get some groceries. You know, you can try that form of evangelism, that kind of fishing, but that's force fishing. It's not really going to work. That's, that's, that's having a hook big enough for a bass and wanting to catch brim. It's not going to happen. they got a little mouth. It's not going to fit in there. We're trying to force it in. You know, I've, I've knocked on doors. I've gone door to door. I've gone... I've, I've actually, when I was in college, I, I went outside of Barnes & Noble and spent two hours, two or three hours, uh, once a week, outside of Barnes & Noble just sharing Jesus with people randomly. Um, got the police called on me because uh, they thought I was weird. Um, and then I also did some street preaching when I was in Ireland. Um, not one convert came of any of that. Not to say that that can't work. Uh, you know, that's, that has its place, that has its time. It does. But I'm going to tell you what the most significant way to fish for people is. Relationships. Relationships. Do you want to be approached like that? Do you want somebody knocking on your door, cold turkey? Or do you want to know that somebody loves you? People don't care what you know, especially know for them. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. we got to let people know that we care about them. That's a, that's a cop-out way of doing evangelism. Is it go cold turkey, heaven or hell, buddy? Which one is it? Because then you leave and you don't have any part in it. But to get involved with somebody's life, for them to tell you, hey, my son is actually going to have surgery. Okay, well, we're going to cook for you this week. We're going to send you a card. We're going to go by the hospital and actually be there to pray with you. Now, you think that's going to make a bigger impact than just a 15-second conversation? I mean, how many people have dropped their, to their knees in Walmart and really converted on that? Let's just be honest. Let's, let's think like a fish again. If we're going to reach people, we need to think like people. If you want to be reached a certain way, start reaching people like that. I was recently really challenged by a guy. I sat down. I give to this organization, Gospel Link, and this guy met with me from Gospel Link, and uh, and we were at Waffle House. And he said, he goes, uh, the the waitress came up, and he he simply said, you know what? We're about to pray in just a second. Is there anything that we could pray for you about? Anyone that you would want us to pray for? And she said, you know what? Um, this is going on, and this is going on. And he didn't, he didn't ask her to stay around. He said, now you're welcome to stay if you want to. We're going to pray. But uh, it, it was just a nice, easy way of doing things. What we want to do is beat people. We want to say, you got it wrong, I got it right, you need to get it right, so get it right. Is that really going to change people? It wouldn't change you. We're all hard-headed in that way, right? Somebody tells us to clean our room, we're not going to clean our room. We know it needs to be clean. We're not going to do it just because I said it. It's really funny, when I was training for my triathlon, there's this sign when I was running on the treadmill at the gym, and it said, it's a stop sign, you know, it just says stop. And it's red, so, I can, so I'm just running, and I see this thing the whole time. It makes me mad when I'm running, I'm like, 
you want me to stop, don't you? I'm not going to stop. Because you're telling me to stop. So my hard-headedness actually helped me in my training. We're all hard-headed. We want to reach people how we want to be reached. And you're going to reach people who are most like you. So that's where your fishing hole is. You've got to fish there. If we're going to help people, we need to be helpful, not hateful. <clears throat> the other thing is catch fish on their terms. Which is just another way of saying, go to where they are. Reach them where they need to be reached. Not how we want to do it, but how they can best get it. Five. Use the right hook. So, you need to have multiple hooks, multiple uh, ways of catching fish. If that's the case with fishing, then with people, we need to have multiple venues, avenues, means of grace to invite people, to involve people. I mean, look, some people will never come if you invite them. But, if we have a community event where we're actually doing something for the community, guess what? They'll come. Not on an invite, but to get involved with something. Whatever we got to do to reach people, shouldn't we be doing it? Isn't that what Paul says? I'm going to become all things to all people so that I might reach some. So what we want to do as a church, what you ought to be doing as a person, as a family, is actually witnessing wherever you go. Fishing wherever you go. That's not some gimmick. It's relationships. Jesus calls Peter to be a fisherman of men and also a shepherd. Do you notice his words? Tend, care. So we're to feed and we're to care and then feed his lambs all the way up until they're mature sheep. Jesus restores Peter by asking him this question, Do you love me? Do you love Jesus? It's a, it's, a, it's a simple question. But what if He got very serious with you and just said, your full name, Marshall Lawrence Dagg, do you love me? And you just put your name in the place of mine. Do you love me? And you say, yes, of course I do. And He says your full name again. Do you love me? Say, yeah, you know, you start to question because he's asking again, right? I mean, if he knows everything, why is he asking me again? And he asked him a third time. And Peter's grieved. You can see it in the text. Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Then feed my sheep. Do you see the orientation here? If you love me, then you're going to care about my sheep. Those people outside these doors, those people that are hard to get along with at work, those people who sin and do bad things, that's His sheep. That's His people. He wants them to be in His fold. He doesn't want them to be out there. He doesn't want them to be wandering off in the, in the wilderness. He wants them to come home. He's restoring Peter to home. And now he turns right around and turns Peter's head to other people. Others. Now, I've not done a good job of this in my own life for my own children. And I had to repent this morning 
Just because I'm not, I, don't, I don't think I'm teaching my kids to be a witness. It must be a priority for us because it's a priority for Jesus. If He wants His sheep fed, we must be the ones to feed. Now we come in here and get fed by Him and we move out there and give His life away. Give our own life away. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what we celebrate in the Eucharist? This Thanksgiving? It most definitely is. Last thing Jesus does for Peter, we'll close with this, is He elevates Peter. (laughs) He uses His full name, Simon, son of John. But then, remember, His name is Peter, and even the text keeps calling Him Peter. You notice that? So He's saying, Simon... Son of John. And then John, the beloved, is saying, Peter, Petros. And Jesus already told him, Peter, on this rock I'll build my church. In other words, in the Greek it says, Petros, which is Peter, I'm going to build my church on the Petros. It's the same word. Rock, I'm going to build my church on the rock. Jesus elevates him to a new name to a new position. You know, yesterday I was, and during the triathlon, I was really questioning myself, can I do this? Am I going to make it? I'm coughing up water. I'm swallowing water and gagging. And the swim was a disaster. Um, and, I, and I really wondered if I was going to be able to make it. Especially when I even got out. I just didn't feel, I was dizzy, I was disoriented, wanted to throw up. Um, and I still had a lot, of, lot left to go. And one of the things that came to mind was, I cannot trust myself. If I trusted myself, I'd have been, I'd have quit, been done with it, sitting over there drinking Gatorade and munching on some kind of fruit bar. But instead, I'm out there, you know, pressing on. And I, thought, I started thinking, why? And it's because of other people. That's it. It's good. I mean. I don't really have much to prove to myself, I guess. I mean, I, in my mind, I think I can do it. But, you know, I wanted to see if I could do it. But what really pushed me on was the other people that were cheering me on. Don't we need that? Jesus is cheering Peter on. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. That solidified Peter's love for Jesus. And he says, look, you're the rock, Peter. You're the rock. Peter's saying, really, me? I'm the rock? Yes, you're the rock. And what I'm saying to you, just like Jesus would say to you, is you are saints of God. He's like, me? Surely he's talking about the guy behind me. No, you are called to be a saint, a holy one, a witness for Jesus. You may not look like it right now, but trust me, if you open your life to Him, He can make you a saint. The only reason you're not is because we don't want it. We want to give up. We're listening to ourselves. We're trusting ourselves. People say, have a lot of confidence. No, don't do that. Trust in God. Trust in other people. Trust in your training. So I had to keep telling myself yesterday. Wasn't trust in Marshall. Marshall was wanting to give up. No, don't, don't trust in you. You can do way more than you ever thought you could do. But only in Him. Only with Him. And only with that cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on.
I mean, they can see us. They're cheering us on. Come on! They're saying your name. Let's go! Don't give up. Don't slack off. Don't fall by the wayside. Don't get distracted. Instead, press on. Now that's something to go on for right there. Not for yourself. What is that? What is that? Nothing. It's nothing. Love. Love is always for the sake of another. Do you love Jesus? Do you love others? Because Jesus loves you and He loves everybody else. We must love Jesus Christ with all of our heart. The Scripture says that fulfills all the law. If you don't, if you find yourself deficient like Peter, today Jesus can restore you. Today Jesus can elevate you to a new position, a new life. That's why He died. That's why He raised from the dead. And He tells us to wait now for the promise of the Holy Spirit. When we have the Holy Spirit, we can do all things through Christ who will strengthen us. Amen.